Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm so glad to have you joining us today for this episode. I think you'll find it really interesting and very informative. We're going to be talking about a different period of history than most of the books that we talk about here on the program. And we have a very interesting and fascinating guest with us today in Brian Litfin, and he's going to come and talk about his latest book in his saga, Constantine Saga. So very interesting chat coming up. Before we dive into all of that, though, just want to quick remind you to subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, be sure to head over to my website, which is liztolsma.com, because you will have all the show notes over there, as well as a link to Brian's website and a link to purchase not only this book, but the first book in the series. And also be sure to follow us on social media. You can find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So we're all over the place there. Please engage with us. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you would like to see on the podcast. I'm always open for ideas and suggestions and for guests who you might like to have on. I always appreciate that. This isn't just my show. This is your show as well. And so any input that you can give me into the show, I really do appreciate and I do take it seriously. I also want to thank you so much for sharing with your friends about the show because we have lots of great new listeners. So welcome to all of you who are joining us now. Hope you managed to get caught up with all of our episodes and that you find a lot of good information here. All right. As promised, we are going to dive into today's guest And that is Brian Litfin. Now, no prejudice or anything here, but Brian gets the distinction of being the first gentleman that I get to interview for the show. So he is blazing a trail for other men to come on here because it's not just women who write great historical Christian fiction, but men have a lot to offer. Definitely his books are not just for men. They are appealed to both. And I would highly encourage you to check out his books. First of all, let's hear a little bit about him and he'll tell us a little bit more. Brian received his PhD in religious studies from the University of Virginia and a master of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. His undergraduate work was at the University of Tennessee in the field of communications. Brian now works as head of strategy and advancement at Clapham School after serving for 16 years as professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and three years as an editor and writer at Moody Publishers. Brian is married to Carolyn and they have two adult children. He enjoys writing, traveling, teaching, reading, spending time with family, and being involved in his local church. Please help me to welcome Brian Litvin to the show. Welcome to the show, Brian. We are so happy to have you with us today. Thanks, Liz. It's great to be here. Why don't we start with having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Well, I'm a writer. I mean, that's one of the things that I do in this life of mine. I'm also a a leader of a school, a classical Christian school in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, help to lead that school with some other folks. 
And I'm a professor and a historian, a scholar of ancient Christianity. And so I guess I juggle a lot of balls in life. And I'm a dad and a, and a husband as well. So many different things going on with me. Sounds like a busy and interesting life. <laughs> For sure. Now you have a new book that just came out and it is called Every Knee Shall Bow. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? And I believe it's part of a series, correct? Yeah, that's right. And so if, you know, to explain the book, I kind of have to explain the backstory or the, the first one a little bit. So the whole series is called the Constantine's Empire series, and it's set in the age of Emperor Constantine, who was in the fourth century AD. You know, a lot of people, when they think of like Christian fiction or set in the Roman Empire, or they think of biblical fiction, they think of you know, the apostles running around or the time of Jesus or somebody who, who knew Jesus and remembers him or something like that knows one of the apostles. This one is set in the fourth century. So it's a couple of hundred years after the time of Christ, but it's in the ancient church period, the early church, as they were facing persecution from the Romans and then gradually under Constantine that changes and the persecution comes to an end. So it's a very pivotal moment in church history and it's a great time to set the novel for sure. And can you tell us a little bit about the characters who are found in both of the books, Flavia or Flavia? Am I saying it right? I think you could say Flavia, but I say Flavia sometimes. It could be either one. And then the hero is Rex. He's the other character. Sure. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? So as I mentioned, it's set in the time of Emperor Constantine. He is one of the characters, but he's not really the lead character or the main one that you follow. You follow the hero and the heroine. And so the hero is Rex, and he is a Germanic warrior. He starts out as kind of a young guy who doesn't believe in the gods. He believes in his own gods from his homeland, and so he doesn't believe in the god of Christianity. But he's a a warrior, and he, he comes into the Roman army as a kind of, almost like what they would have had, like special forces operative or like a spy. And he's really gifted in that kind of physical challenge kind of thing. And so the emperor sends him ahead into Rome to spy out for a mission. And this is all in the first book. And then as Rex comes into Rome, he meets Flavia and engages not only with her and adventures that he has with her. She's the daughter of a senator. So she's aristocratic and she's a Christian. So she believes in Jesus in the way that the ancient Christians did. And so Rex and Flavia engage with each other's faith and perils that face them. And that carries them through the first book and right on in to the second book, Every Knee Shall Bow. Very interesting that you would choose ancient church history as a history buff myself and someone who had to take church history in school. And we've had church history Sunday school classes. I think it's really fascinating what church history is like and how the church has evolved over the years to be what it is today. Yeah, me too. I love it. And, you know, it's interesting when evangelical Christians study church history, oftentimes that means, well, the time of Martin Luther, the time of John Calvin, or maybe the Puritans or, you know, something since the Reformation. And we tend not to think perhaps of the period before the 1500s, as being part of our history. We might think, oh, well, that's Roman Catholic or something like that. But this is the ancient church. This is only, you know, 300 some years after the time of Jesus. So you don't really have the Roman Catholic church per se. You don't really have 
the Protestant, of course, you don't have the Protestant or evangelical faith. What you have is what I call the little C Catholic, where it's like in the Apostles' Creed, where it says the, the Catholic Church. It's just the it's the worldwide church of Jesus as it existed in the ancient church period. And so if readers like history, these novels take them into a period that maybe maybe they're not as familiar with as they might be from the Reformation or something like that. Why did you pick this? time period. Why write about Constantine and the coming of age of Christianity in the Roman Empire? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I mean, the ancient church period is my expertise as a scholar. So it's something I'm deeply rooted in. The age itself. So you're talking about like the years 312 to 320. So the the books take place over a a multi-year span, that is a very, very important period of church history. It's the age when Emperor Constantine is this first emperor who kind of awakens to the Christian God and, and finally for the first time begins to think that maybe his subjects should follow that God or should follow Jesus instead of the old gods like Jupiter and the different gods of the of the pagans. And so it's this moment when Christianity pivots and goes from being, as we picture, like the Christians being thrown to the lions, being persecuted by the Roman soldiers, the Roman government, which did happen, of course. And in this moment under Constantine, that all changes. And suddenly you've got support for the church. And so new opportunities and great events are happening at this time. Like, for example, the determining of the canon of scripture is happening. What books are in? What books are out? Or the Council of Nicaea, which is where we get the Nicene Creed, which defines the doctrine of the Trinity. And so the ending of persecution. There are these these many things that are all kind of happening in just a few years span of time. And it just seems like a, a great moment to explore what it was like to be an ancient Christian and what it was like to live through those events. For sure. Now, the characters of Flavia and Rex, going back to them, is there any inspiration for them or any inspiration for any of the events that happened to them in the story? You know, I don't know if there's like one figure that I would have based it on. You get inspiration, I guess, from just encountering different figures from church history. So there were, you know, warrior figures, and that's what Rex is, and you get heroines who are Christian and who are brave, like, for example, the martyr Perpetua, not that Flavia is martyred in this book, but she has to stand through persecution or she has to stand through challenges to her faith. And so you have these noble heroines from church history. You have brave and wise men. You have mentor figures and wise bishops and and those that uh, gave advice in the period when wisdom was needed. So I don't know that there's one figure, but it's kind of a conglomeration of of all all the great saints and heroes that we get to come pass down to us through church history. In the book, Every Knee Shall Bow, Flavia and Rex are sent off on a mission by Constantine, and they go to lots of different places around the known world at that time. How did you go about doing all the research for all of those places that they went? (laughs) Well, people ask me that sometimes, like, how did you research that? I mean, even my mom, when she read it, she was like, I can't believe you know so much. (laughs) And uh, she asked me that same thing. How did you research it? I mean, 
in one sense, I've been doing that all of my adult life. So I didn't have to do a ton of research because I've been publishing and writing and sort of living in the space of ancient Christianity. I would say, you know, I've used to lead a lot of study abroad trips. I know your daughter's away on a study abroad trip right now. You mentioned that before the podcast to me. And, you know, that kind of experience where you lead students around and you're a teacher and you go to these lands and you walk and you see and you smell and you realize that even in modern culture, there are some habits and patterns that still exist from the ancient world. So I think it's to answer your question, I know how to research this field professionally. I know how to understand the things that were happening then. And also I've been traveling these lands for many years. So I bring out little details of just things that I might have observed along the way. That's the best way I found to do research is really to immerse yourself in the culture and find the little details that really make it rich and come to life. Yeah, exactly. You take a great vacation and then you write it off as a job expense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did this year. So uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You mentioned that you are a scholarly person, that you've taught at the college level, you're involved in a school right now, you've done a lot of reading and research throughout your career. Why would you, as someone who is in that arena, and I went on your blog and I read some of your more scholarly articles, which I thought were very well said and well thought out. What made you want to write Christian historical novels instead? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's not usually done by, you know, academic people like me. I mean, it's so it's typically people like me write articles for a few other people like me, and then we all just partake of the same little club, and that's called academia. And so it's rare, I think, to branch out and to go into fiction. But for me, I've always been a creative person. I've always been a storyteller. Ever since I was a kid, I was concocting stories and just had this imagination. And I think it just kind of bubbled up out of me. I mean, I don't write to teach per se. It's not my goal. Like, how can I teach more people? Well, I'll hide I'll hide a history lesson inside a book and teach people. I don't think that would make for a very good book because, you know, you're, you're trying to do something other than entertain. And really a book, a novel has to entertain. But I will say that probably a reader of my books, because they're so meticulously researched or so full of rich detail about the Mediterranean world and the things that were happening at that time, and maybe, maybe my personality where I, I do like to teach and communicate and, and I get excited about this stuff and I want to share it. So probably that does come out in the book. And so there probably is a kind of learning that you might experience when, when you read these books. But at the same time, I was always, uh, like I said, I'm a storyteller and I've always been conscious of trying to make sure that it's a rollicking good tale. I mean, it's like a, it's like an old fashioned swashbuckler, the kind of adventure stories that I used to love when I was a kid, like the first Star Wars movie or Indiana Jones and, you know, the hero and the heroine and the, the hold hands and dash away from the enemies and gallop on horses and all that good stuff, you know, and, and even great literature that gives you that kind of a feeling, the knights, the knights in shining armor type story. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, I'm an academic, and somehow I try to bridge those two worlds and bring them together in a book that will satisfy the reader. And what do you feel is the primary 
purpose of Christian fiction. You mentioned that it shouldn't necessarily be a history lesson. Then what should it be if not that? That's a complex question. I mean, I think it does have to obviously entertain. And I and I don't even I'm not apologetic about that. Oh, I'm just writing entertainment. You know, it has to be that because people buy novels to be swept away. People want to disappear from their world. And I think that's okay. They want to get swept up in an adventure that's bigger than them. I think I'm not doing my job if you are reading it and you're aware of the room around you. If you're not immersed in the place and kind of holding those pages tight and flipping the pages because they're tense and there's action or there's some kind of emotion, then I haven't done my job. So there's that entertainment and there's that stepping into a story world and being swept away in a great adventure that's satisfying and thrilling and scary and sad and all of those different powerful emotions. But, you know, any novel can do that. Even a secular novel or a non-Christian novel can have that effect. So I think with a Christian novel, I really believe there has to be something deeper. There has to be, it has to be God honoring. There has to be themes that cohere with the Bible. Not that you don't sometimes have to show sinfulness so that you can show Christ's redemption as well. You don't go into graphic detail, but you know, you want to put it on the page because it's part of life. And so you find that balance. And so a, a Christian novel needs to, in some way, inspire, right? It needs to at least by the end, maybe not in the middle of it, you're, you're seeing darkness. But by the end, you realize, hey, Christ is the victor. There's hope. And really, you know, the victory theme, if we want to talk about this, is, is really the, the dominating motif of the three books. I mean, they all, well, the first one's called The Conqueror. The second one is called Every Knee Shall Bow. And the third one is called, when it comes out a year from now, Caesar's Lord. So it all has to do with lordship and bowing the knee to Christ, the victor, and being conquered by him or Jesus conquering the ancient gods and conquering the Roman Empire and other sub-themes about conquering and victory and where true victory lies. So that's what I say a Christian novel has to do, is that it has to take another step to the higher world and celebrate the things above, not just the things that any non-Christian novel could talk about. What is the hardest part of writing fiction? The hardest part of writing fiction is like the sadness when it comes to an end, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I never have had writer's block I don't really know what that means. I mean, I guess if I just kept at it for long enough, I might hit that wall. But I plan out the novel. I know exactly what scene is going to happen down the road. And so I layer this one, something in early so I can show it later. And the hard part for me is not the writing. It feels joyous. It feels like I'm coloring in a black and white sketch and and really getting to see what happens because there's a certain sense in which until you write it you don't quite know what the characters are going to do and it's quite thrilling when they start talking to each other and you're almost just like typing so fast that you're just capturing speech as you see it and as you hear it and sometimes they stop the scene earlier than you think and you realize oh that's kind of how that ends wow that was a thrilling <laughs> ride so so the hard part of writing is not the writing for me The hard part of writing is having to sort of let go of of the story when it inevitably comes to an end. That might sound strange, but that's how I perceive it. That can be very true. As an author, you can really get attached to your characters and you can get swept up in the story as much as your readers can. And it can be very hard when you get to the end and you're like, 
oh, wow, I guess the story's done and I don't get to spend time with these people anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They come to be like friends and you have to feel their emotions. So I think it was the poet Robert Frost that says, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. And I've thought about that a lot. Like if you can't, sometimes as you're writing, this has happened to me, probably to you too, Liz. There's times when you're writing and you kind of get like tears in your eyes because the emotion is so powerful because you identify with these characters that you've created like they're real. You know they're not, but yet you you have to sort of believe that they are so that you can really emote enough in your writing so that the reader will have an emotional experience as well. And so to, to your point, yeah, that's when it comes to an end, it's like a goodbye and it feels sad, but hopefully some closure too. Exactly. What's up next for you? You mentioned you have a book coming out next year. That's right. So the third installment. Oh, wow. I mean, I actually just sent it to the publisher today. So just a few hours. Yeah, exactly. Celebrate, you know, a couple of hours ago, I sent it off. It comes out one year from now in October of 2022. And it is a rollicking good adventure. And it is a, I guess you'd say, worthy closure to this saga of Rex and Flavia. And it really is a saga. I mean, they start out as kind of, you know, late teens And by the end, they're in their young 30s. And I won't give away any more plot than that. But, you know, it it takes them over a span of their life. And along the way, they encounter all of these things. And so, yeah, the third one is called Caesar's Lord. And it does deal with, as I said before, the, the Council of Nicaea and the discovery of the true cross of Christ by Empress Helena, the mother of Constantine. So it it concludes in Jerusalem and a a number of other epic battles and and things that were happening in in those times. So, so much good story to kind of finish out the saga. And I hope it's a worthy conclusion with the three. So when readers finish Every Knee Shall Bow, it's not really the end. We have more to look forward to. (laughs) That's right. You know, it's like ending The Empire Strikes Back or something. Well, you know, there's another another one that has to come in here. The Jedi has to return. (laughs) And so there's always that like closure, but you don't have that sense of the finality of the macro story or the, the big plot arc. And I think that is achieved by the third one. But yes, the second one ends in a very good place, but with that like open door that invites you to finish the three acts of the three books, you know, they're, they're all kind of an act of a single story. Well, we'll be looking forward to that for sure. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Well, I would just encourage, you know, listeners to dig into historical fiction. It's its own kind of genre. That's a lot of fun because you can learn about history. And in my books, you're going to learn from a historian and, and someone who's primary career has been in that world and go along for the ride and and enjoy it and sink yourself back into time and back into a different age and see how your brothers and sisters used to live in a different time. There's a lot of insight there, really. There's a lot of insight when you step back into a different period of the church and you try to understand, well, how did they perceive Christ? Well, how did they perceive the priorities of their faith? And what, what does that mean for today and for my faith? So, yeah, I invite readers to to take a step back to the ancient church and to live in a different world for a time. Sounds like a great world to be living in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. It has been a real pleasure, and we look forward to reading all of the books in this saga. Thank you, Liz, for having me. It's a privilege. 
Wow, don't both of those books, The Conqueror and Every Knee Shall Bow, sound absolutely wonderful, full of great and interesting history, history that maybe some of us aren't as familiar with as more recent history or even biblical history, a time period that is well worth checking out. So I would encourage you to do that. As I said at the beginning of the show, you can go to my website, which is liztolsma.com, and there you will find out more about Every Knee Shall Bow and about Brian, and you can also find handy links to both The Conqueror and Every Knee Shall Bow. On next week's show, I am so excited to have Candace Sue Patterson joining us. She is another one of the authors in Barber's Heroines of World War II series. Her new book, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt, is now out, and we have a great conversation about World War II and about Barber's entire series and about Candace and about all of her writing and her life. And you aren't going to want to miss that conversation that we have with Candace Sue Patterson about Saving Mrs. Roosevelt. So be sure to join us next week. In the meantime, I hope that you have a great week and we will see you later. <music> 